Hi, everyone. Happy New Year and welcome to the AC Podcast. Today, I'm here with Andy and Steve. And it is where, where I'm at currently, it is actually minus 40 outside. So I'm miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm miserable. Oh, man. It's so cold. It is so cold. I'm in Manitoba finishing up the last of my uh, travel hellos to family and uh, wound up where it all kind of started for me. <laughs> yeah, in the prairies. Reminding you why you uh, why you fled. Oh, my gosh. It's, it is brutally cold. My, mm-hmm. my daughter had the moment we were all preparing her, trying to prepare her for before we left B.C., and uh, we said, hey, it's going to be really cold. And we were coming out of a Walmart and her back was turned. She was holding onto the cart and a rush of wind came up her back and she just instantly started crying. And we knew. We were like, I wonder how long it's going to take for her, her first response to be crying uh, going outside in the cold. Oh, goodness. Incredible. It's been a, it has been a white Christmas here and mm. continues to snow into the new year in British Columbia. We hit some incredible uh, temperatures for extended periods of time. So I think we dipped, I think we hit negative 20 or very close to it. Yeah, I'm, I think it uh, did from point. what I saw. Yeah, which is very unusual. This has been quite, quite the year. Mm-hmm. We went from heat dome to forest fires <laughs> to flooding to <laughs> oh, now geez. frozen. Goodness. What? What next is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just so. Have you ask. noticed? <laughs> As we've gone into 2022, everybody's been cautiously optimistic. I I, I don't even hear optimism. It's just kind of like we're just going into 2022 because we we've yeah. had our hopes dashed too many times. Yeah. Don't even don't even be optimistic. Yeah. It yeah. will be what it will be. Yeah. Yeah. This year's gonna be my year. Will it? <laughs> will it? That's what we said about 2020. <laughs> that's why they call it 2022. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I do have to say this, by the way. I always find it amusing that whenever something like heat dome happens, you know, it's all about the climate and how we, you know, global warming. But when you're in negative 40, negative, you know, 20, it just silence. It's yeah. just, it's, there's yeah. just silence. Yeah, exactly. Not to say that. You know that the environment uh, isn't a isn't a real issue, but I just find it I find it uh, I find it interesting. Yeah, because it, it you know the climate temperatures go up down and doing all sorts of things, but that's not what we're <laughs> here to talk cooling. about today. I could get into that, but I won't. <laughs> we're talking on a completely different subject. And by the way, I, I do know listeners. I've heard from you. I just heard from a listener this last week who said, "Listen." I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I, sometimes I skip the banter at the beginning. I respect that. I can I appreciate that. that. I do. <laughs> so some people have skipped right on past this, but this is what you're looking for today. We're talking on the subject of premarital sex, and this was a subject that was brought to us by a listener. Mm-hmm. So we received a message from one of our dear listeners, and um, she's single. She is a young adult. She's Christian. And she was just talking about basically this sort of, I guess we're not taking premarital sex very seriously, It was basically her point. And she was so disappointed that many young Christian men that 
uh, she she saw in the past, they all expected sex before marriage, and it was really troubling to her and to many of her friends. So what's going on here, Greg? So um, we we heard you. I know this was a long time coming. You sent us that message, that request a, a while ago. We've gone through whatever episodes we needed to go through, and here we are kicking off 2022 with a talk on premarital sex and sexual purity and such. Which I'm happy, quite honestly, to talk about because this has been a fairly hot topic within Christian, you know, subculture for a while now, particularly in, you know, you you hear about people deconstructing faith, but it's been on this kind of spectrum of deconstructing where the whole purity culture has gotten sucked into what's been going on, and particularly Joshua Harris, who wrote this book back when I was, you know, dating called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, uh, which I'll, I'll be straight up with you. I bought the book, never read it, and to this day, I thought the book's premise was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> as a youth pastor, I, I never did promote that. So it's not like everybody bought into to that idea. Because there were varying levels of I kissed many things goodbye back in, you know, that people were dealing with and still deal with. For example, I had a friend who kissed kissing goodbye. He said, listen, I'm going to, da- I'm going to, you know, I, I, I'm going to court, but I'm not even going to kiss. Like he, he, he kissed dating and kissing goodbye sort of thing. I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. But I had my own thing that I developed and I have promoted with young people. And uh, so, so I kissed saying I love you goodbye. Mm. Uh, and so that was one of the things that I, that I developed within my own walk with the Lord as I was dating, where I said, you know, I'm going to date. I'm even going to kiss and, and, and whatever, but I'm not going to tell the girls I'm dating that I love them. I'm, I'm going to wait until I know that I'm going to marry this girl. Yeah. And that girl, I will say, I, I love you. So yeah. to that girl. here's my question. When did you say to Nancy that you loved her? <laughs> well, that got awkward, Steve. Thanks for bringing that up. It's a bit of a sore spot. <laughs> Because I still remember to this day, Nancy and I were dating. We had been dating for for like over a year. And she, we're at her house. She looks at me in this like tender moment, you know, right into my eyeballs, right into my, staring into my soul. And, you know, it says, I love you. And I look back at her, right? And I'm like, and I like you a lot too. (laughs) Oh, no. no, no. Snap. (laughs) So that got awkward, Steve, for a while. But my thing was like, I'm like, listen, this relationship has to be on your terms and my terms. So I yeah. can appreciate that you're at that place, but I am not there yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. Yeah. But then the day did come that I, I told her I love you. And it was interesting because it became a very special like word. The word actually meant something. And particularly, Nancy understood that that meant like marriage, like Andy... Like we're seeking marriage. And I and I just want to mention this real quickly because this is something that I talk to a lot of young people about that seem confused. And I think this is important just as we're getting into the conversation about 
dating and premarital sex and all that. And that is so many people forget what dating's about. Mm-hmm. Like dating has a purpose. Cause I'll, I'll have people ask me, you know, what's the right age to date? And I'm like, listen, when you know the purpose of dating, which is marriage, you're seeking a partner to be married to. Yeah. Then you'll know the right age to date. The the right age to date is when you're ready to seek a partner to get married to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So like if you're 16 and dating, I'm sorry, but like you should be dating because I don't think you should be trying to get married. But if, if you understand that dating is for the purpose of marriage, it, it starts to recalibrate the way that you're that you're starting to understand that. I mean, like, so if mm-hmm. you're 16, have friends, uh, but you're probably not ready to get to get married. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think one of the challenges is that when we say these kinds of things, people automatically assume that this is a blanket statement, right? Because, I mean, yeah, we're making general statements. There are exceptions where I, you know, I have family who got married straight out of high school at the tender age of 18, and they've been doing really well since. I mean, they've had their ups and downs. My sister as well. Yeah. And so I think those are... Those kinds of exceptions, and I think there are also some cultural considerations too, where in some cultures you're kind of expected to get married early, um, and just historically speaking too, right? You know, typically parents arranged marriage for you and all those kinds of. So you have to kind of take into those things into account. But you know, looking at just currently where we are, where we're at as a culture, yeah, what is the purpose of dating? I think some people would say that the purpose of dating is just for companionship, right? Just to have somebody to call boyfriend or girlfriend and have that sort of, not not so much a sexual exchange, but that sort of romantic exchange of some sort, right? And so that to me is a little bit concerning if that's all it is, if, if that's, it's not directed towards a goal, I find that that's problematic. Um, one of the things that one of our listeners to the podcast uh, have mentioned is that what we really need in our, in our culture today is an apologetic for marriage. Mm. And I really resonate with that because that pulls everything together, marriage, procreation, sex, dating, sexuality, gender, all those kinds of things. And uh, and I think we really do need an apologetic for marriage. And when we do a good job of that, I think we're going to have a, a more solid understanding of okay, well, what's the what's the issue with premarital sex and so on and so forth. I was always raised like my dad, being being a pastor, they had their rules, and so growing up, one of our major rules was you you can't date until you have your driver's license. So essentially, around sixteen, and but the the precursor to that was also my dad specifically told my sister and I date with the intent of marriage. Now you say that to a young man, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, date with the intent of marriage. And it was just like, how do I reconcile that? How do I actually comprehend that at this age? And that was exactly the reason he did it. He didn't, um, he didn't grill me, you know, when when I said I wanted to date somebody at, you know, at 16 and um, like I had my my little girlfriends in elementary school, but it wasn't like I was really dating them. Like I may have seen this girl maybe once every two weeks at band because she went to another elementary school. <laughs> like <laughs> I met her in band and whatever. But I remember 
always having that in the back of my mind, date with the intent of marriage. And it actually just made sense to me right out the gate. Um, and so going into high school, going into college, like I had, I had girlfriends and somewhere along the way that was still in my mind, dating is a serious thing. And so, but at that age, it was more or less just don't cheat because would you cheat if you were a husband? Don't. No, I wouldn't. All right. So don't do it as a boyfriend. That was that was my mentality. And that's about as far as it went. But as I as I as I got older and started really thinking about, man, I would love to get married one day. The way I looked at whoever I was dating or pursued someone I was dating, it, it was different, but almost to a fault. Because I remember staying in certain relationships too long um, that I should have let go of, but I didn't because my mindset was, well, in marriage, are you just going to quit? In marriage, are you just going to give up? And so I wanted to work through those issues. I wanted to work through those challenges and using my own intellect and rationale. And I'd be talking to my dad or I'd be talking to my girlfriend at the time is like, hey, if we're going to get married someday, we got to be able to communicate. We got to be able to da, 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 da. And it was almost to a negative aspect that I put all this pressure on myself that if we had to just said, hey, we, we need to break up, we would have saved ourselves years. And I'm talking like I, years of, of heartache. Like I had long relationships. That was just the way, the way it went. Do you know what's interesting on that, Troy, is one of the things that I um, advise young couples and I've done I've I've spoken with a, a lot of young people over the years both those that are dating those that are engaged and those that are married and one of the reasons why over the years I've as I've shared with young people because I found this so interesting that you're exactly right so many young people want to treat dating like marriage and so I've had young people say to me you know Andy hey I'm dating this girl what do you think about me doing devotions with her or praying with her? And and it's just fascinating to me to see how young people want to take maybe what they see their parents doing in their marriage and want to implement those things into their dating life. Yeah. And I appreciate that they want to bring God into the relationship and all that. But the problem is they put so much pressure on this dating experience that they actually just can't be friends and get to know each other it, as not married people. Yeah trying to decide whether or not they should marry each other. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think in general, there is a lot of confusion around this topic. Here's my question for you guys. Um, why get married at all? What's the purpose of marriage? Well, that's a, that's a super loaded question, depending on the angle you want to take it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll actually respond with one of the uh, one of the verses that I have seen a, tripping up a lot of people in First Corinthians seven, you know, you you know the the relevance that the people in Corinth had written must have written a letter to Paul in the in the realm of marriage and union and all those sorts of things, and and Paul responds to them. First Corinthians seven, chapter seven, starting at one, it says, "Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman." Because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. And then if you skip down to skip down to eight, it says to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. 
And that might not answer your question in the realm of like, for me personally, but it's just interesting. I wanted to to kind of add that to this conversation because I've seen that passage used in manipulative ways that have led to people getting married before they were ready because their entire context was, I can't control my urges. Right. So in that case, what uh, these people are doing or these, I don't know, hypothetical people are doing is that they're putting sex before marriage, right? Sex above marriage. The purpose of marriage is to have sex. Um, that's not where I live. I, I think, yes, sex is part of marriage, but sex cannot come logically prior to marriage as if that's the goal of marriage. It's interesting because I there's a couple different answers you'll often see. One, as you guys have just mentioned, is sex. So some people will see the purpose of marriage as sex. And then you're absolutely right, Troy, these verses just confuse the whole situation because they, they get the cart before the horse and they're yeah. not appreciating what Paul's saying within the context of what's happening in in Corinth and, and what he's seeking to communicate. Where you'll also see, though, that some people will get this mixed up where they'll see that the purpose of marriage is having children. I've seen that one a lot as as well. And something happens then because if you then get married and there's problems with sex or there's problems with having children and the like, the marriage falls apart because the marriage was doomed from the very beginning because the, the understanding of it was wrong. And it's interesting when you look at what the Bible talks about with regards to the purpose of marriage, the purpose is very clear. Uh, the, the purpose is relationship. Yep. Relationship between one man and one woman for life. Yeah. And that sex, in fact, is not the purpose of marriage, nor is having children the purpose of marriage. You can have a perfectly healthy marriage without either of those things. Yep. Yeah, I, I think the road that the route that I would take, maybe it's the Catholic upbringing in me. This is something that I always admired Catholics for, is that they have a very solid sort of view of sex, marriage, procreation, all those kinds of things. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before where a lot of Protestants tend to divorce these things from one another, right? So, mm -hmm. for example, procreation is divorced from sex by the introduction of contraception. Now, I'm not against contraception in toto, but what I am saying is this can be one of the side effects of introducing contraception is that people start disassociating procreation and sex, so much so that in the abortion kind of controversy, if you will. Um, you often hear people, you know, a lot of pro-choicers say, well, I consented to having sex, but not having children. Um, that, that sounds really bizarre to me if you understand what sex is pointed towards, right? And, and same thing, you know, sex, uh, and what we're talking about today is that uh, that relationship between sex and marriage, how they are tied together. And we tend to kind of pull them apart. And so that's mm -hmm. something that I've always appreciated Catholics for. So Steve, if I were to like sum up what you're saying, mm -hmm. what what you're what you're getting at is that yes, marriage is a relationship and mm -hmm. the purpose is a relationship, but it's a certain type of relationship. That's right. Yeah. It, it is a, a relationship with a type of intimacy that is sexual, mm -hmm. that is desiring to bring forth children. Right. And but 
it cannot be defined by those things. Mm-hmm. For example, if if you try to define it by having children, mm-hmm. yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find yourself in trouble. Like that 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 that's not gonna be able to account for the full mm-hmm. breadth of what it means to be in a the covenant of marriage. Yeah. So yeah. think of uh, think of people who are struggling with infertility, for example. Right. I I have friends from Bible school who have been struggling with infertility for a long time. Now, is their marriage any less valid than our marriages? You know, we we all have children, right? Um, Well, I would say no. Now, uh, what I would say is, you know, I kind of lean more in the Catholic direction in in the sense that the purpose of marriage is unitive and procreative, right? Those are, both things are there. Now, so then what about in cases of infertility? What um, I would say is that if you look at our how our bodies are made and designed and how they fit together, our bodies are made for reproduction. Sometimes something goes wrong in our bodies and we can't quite get there. But in marriage, you still your bodies are still pointed in that direction. It's oriented towards procreation, even if there is a block somewhere in along the way so that you can't have yeah. children or something of that sort. And so that that's how I see all those things fit together, sex, marriage, procreation, and intimacy and those kinds of things. And that's why in a lot of ways, I find premarital sex problematic theologically for that reason, because that's what it's, that's where it's, where it's meant to belong is in marriage. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really changed my perspective, even in the last years, like I, my wife and I, we've been married for seven years, we've been together um, for nine. And, and even with, within our engagement, our engagement was about six months. Like it was, it was one of those situations for us where let's get engaged. Let's get married. Let's get married. Like I know uh, I'm, I'm engaged to you not to keep you on lock and key. I am engaged to you because I want to marry you. So six months to get our, our funds, right. Get our, our organization, our wedding and everything sorted out. And what really is, is shifted my perspective, even in our marriage to this day, is recognizing the difference between a promise and a covenant. And and the way the Lord really like lays that out beautifully with, with Abraham and, and Sarah. And he comes to Abraham and he promises, Hey, I will I will give you descendants, the number of the stars. I will take I'll take you to a place that I will show you. I'll go, go, and I will establish you. And he keeps making this promise. And I had written in my Bible, it, it, it is several times he reminds him of this promise. Every time there's a moment of doubt, every time there's a questioning of like, okay, what next, God? He continues that promise. It's not until he actually brings him to that place where Abraham has walked out in that obedience that he says, now let's make covenant. And I think that's one of the biggest issues with, with young people and, and getting married is we have actually glorified the promise of marriage more than the actual covenant of marriage. And that's why just the idea, like we were saying earlier, of covenant and relationship is is more than enough for people. Like I, I've told young people um, who wanted to call their girlfriend, oh, got to call wifey, got to call my husband. I'm like, that's not your husband. <laughs> that, that, that is not your wife. And don't you dare, don't you dare dumb that down or water that down. Because I see what my wife goes through every day with our children. I see what she's done for me every single day. And I also know the sacrifices that I've had to make as her husband 
that I promise you right now, man, that is not your wife. <laughs> and, and to, and I think sometimes we water, we water those phrases down. We water down, like you were saying, Andy, uh, the idea of love, like, man, I love that. But you, you said you loved your wife in the same manner that you said you love ketchup chips. So what <laughs> is, what's the scale? What is your standard? I think that this is, this is a good, this is a good point that needs to be fleshed out because I, I could imagine some people listening to us at this point going, okay, I, I hear where you guys are going, but like, you haven't really gotten at the premarital sex component yet. But what I think is interesting is you get into this conversation, you start to realize you got, if you want to understand or appreciate the topic of premarital sex, you first need to understand the marital status thing. You got to understand Absolutely. what the, what the marriage is about and the significance of, of marriage as you, as you're getting at their, their Troy that, let, let's let's get that covenant aspect correct and appreciate what that is because what what I what I see happening so often that, that Christians need to be so careful of is that people will tend to go into one of two camps as I see it on the one camp they won't take marriage very seriously and so within the the pre-marriage it's kind of anything goes situation because they haven't taken the marriage part seriously, well, have sex with whomever and say whatever you want, you know, treat it like it is a marriage. So they, they don't see that distinction. Then on the other camp, though, I see people moving to the other, though, extreme, where they take it so seriously that they have created all sorts of rules uh, uh, around. They become very law-like in the way that they're approaching yeah marriage yeah where where they've lost sight of what it what it's meant to be that marriage is good that sex is good that god desires for you to have sex he designed it to be pleasurable and good because it's interesting to me that some people when they get all the rules around marriage and they and they're thinking on the premarital stuff, right? And in, in in premarital sex, they they make premarital sex so rule based mm. that once they get married, they're actually having a difficult time allowing that to be a sexual union. Yeah, because because sex has been like this cookie in the cookie jar that's been so rule based. Now I could imagine people again going, "Okay, what are you what are you trying to get at then, Andy?" What I'm trying to get at with all of what I'm saying here is that as people, we tend to forget that God created you to flourish. He yeah. loves you and wants you to experience the best life. See, now this is different because that means we're talking about a God of love. The challenge is, though, we tend to want to replace a God of love with a God of rules and a mm. God of law. And and it doesn't mean then that God doesn't have rules and that God doesn't have laws. He does. But his rules and his laws flow from his love, not the other way around. God's love doesn't flow from his laws. God's law follows from his love. Yeah. So here's what I'm trying to get at again. That means then if God's desire is for your good, if God's desire is for your flourishing, then the then the rules or the way he's directing you is he's trying to direct you in such a way that you will flourish, that you will experience the best sex, the best marriage, the best covenant. 
Guys, am I making any sense at all? No, I, I think that's a great point. I think um, what's happening is, yeah, we boil it down to rules, right? So in Korea, for example, we don't talk about premarital sex, but we talk about premarital purity, right? So a lot of, but I mean, the, the concept is related, right? So obviously, you know, a lot of... Uh, Korean Christian young women uh, struggle with the idea, especially if they have had premarital sex before. Oh, you know, I've ruined my premarital purity, right? And then there are some people, you know, young men and women who question, Christian men and women who question whether I should keep premarital purity. I think I find that in this conversation, a lot of reductionism happens, right? And and, mm. and just we get really myopic. Because before we think about premarital purity, we should probably talk about what purity is. What kind of purity does God desire and require of us as people bearing his image, right? So, and if you start going down that route, my goodness, I've been uh, working on memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, it can be a little depressing sometimes, because <laughs> especially when Jesus starts going, you have heard that it was said to those of old, right? You shall not murder, or you know, do, do not commit adultery, and all those kinds of things. I'm just like, man, I'm a, I'm a lying, adulterous <laughs> murderer, because that is what is in my heart, you know, like that, that purity, right? And so, there is something that we need to consider here for those listeners, perhaps, who are not married, uh, who have engaged in sex before marriage and all those kinds of things, and you're wondering, wow, you know, like, what happened to my purity here? Listen, if you're a Christian, you believe in a God of second chances. You believe in a God who, uh, who gave you His purity through Jesus Christ, right? And so don't don't let this be a um, uh, an obstacle in your relationship with God, right? I'm not saying you know, and therefore indulging premarital sex. That's not what I'm saying. But if if you've you know broke this rule, quote unquote, right, that is all the more reason to come to God and ask for forgiveness and move on, right? And and and, and live a life of purity that goes beyond just keeping the rule before before marriage. Right. Think think about it in a bigger bigger kind of a way. Yeah. Start with the way you look at your partner or your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Yeah. Steve, let, let's let's focus in on that because what what you're saying is, no matter where you're at in your in your life or whatever uh, paths that you've taken, God's saying, "Hey, this path here is going to lead to your flourishing." Wherever you're at, you can always get back yeah. onto that path and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. Lead me in a way that's going to lead to my good. And what you see mm. being communicated throughout the Bible is that saving your sexual relationship for a covenant of marriage is going to lead to your flourishing. This is what you see the Bible mm. teaching from beginning to end. That will that sex is good, and it is good within the context of marriage, and that will lead to your good. Yeah. Now, I want to go deeper, but I see you want to say something, Steve. So, what what is it that? Yeah. No, I I think it's also borne out by 
yes, this is biblical teaching, but I think it's also borne out by research outside of the Bible, right? And it's corroborated. And I'm not saying that, you know, the Bible depends on this, but it's corroborated because when you— And I'll give you— I'll give you an example, yeah, Steve, yeah. Uh, and, and we'll link this to the show, but there have been studies that have been done, and there was one published recently by The Atlantic, and what it showed is a direct correlation between the number of sexual partners before marriage and your satisfaction or your happiness or your flourishing within marriage. So, in other words, those people who did not have premarital sex and then get married have a better, happier marriage than those who have a lot of partners. And the number is like escalating. So, the more sexual partners before marriage correlates to your decreased happiness and. Yeah, you're. I, I hate. I, I'm. I'm hesitant to use the word happiness, right? Yeah. So let me right. just use satisfaction. The flourishing. Yeah, the satisfaction flourishing of that marriage. Troy, you want to say something? Yeah, I. I just want to kind of throw a wrench in here for you guys, because I've had these kind of conversations come up with young people as well, where someone asks me, "Then, okay, so is premarital sex just like sex as we know it? What about all the other stuff?" Right. And and like there's it just is what it is. Right. And so there's people that have asked, like, okay, so if I did this, but I haven't had sex, am I still a virgin? Am I still is that still okay? Uh, What is your what is your guys response to that in your time as, as pastors? Have you ran into those those conversations? Of course, we run into I run into those conversations all the time. And And notice what's happening, though, within that. It goes back to what Steve was saying. They want to reduce that relationship and reduce the rules uh, or or reduce the relationship to to these set of rules. Uh, So I want to circle back to Scripture uh, to address that that issue, Troy, because I I think that Jesus, Jesus addresses this issue. And I think we need to appreciate what Jesus gets at if we're going to appreciate how to answer that kind of question. First, though, just with regards to that evidence, you know, outside the Bible that says, hey, actually, this this sort of what the Bible's talking about, actual evidence shows that that actually leads to a healthy marriage. So I think that's something to think about. Now, does that does that mean that, you know, what we should be basing our opinions on is like this evidence outside the Bible? I, I don't think so. What, what I think it comes down to, and this is something I've been learning more and more, and, and people often forget this. The name Christ is not Jesus' last name. The, the name Christ is Greek for the, the Hebrew word Messiah, and the Hebrew word Messiah means anointed one. And to put that in context, it means crowned one. Jews anointed their kings with oil. They were smeared. We think of monarchies as crowned. In other words, Jesus' name means King Jesus. He is king of everything. He's the king of kings. That means he is the king of your life. And when you become a Christian, you are bowing your knee to King Jesus. You are saying that he has authority in my life, and I'm going to trust him, not because this relationship is based on King Jesus of rules. This is based on 
King Jesus who loves me and desires for my good and my flourishing. So I am going to trust you, King Jesus, to lead me in a way that's going to lead to my good. Because this gets interesting, guys. Now, Troy, you said that you grew up in a family with a dad that was a pastor and he had these rules about marriage. I mean, dating, that you had to be 16 and blah, blah, blah. I grew up in a family where my mom became a Christian, right? But I I grew up in this opposite family, right? A family that originally was not Christian. Ultimately, my mom becomes a Christian. But I had no rules. There were no rules about dating. I could do as I liked, right? And it was interesting for me, though, because when I became a Christian, I I had had a healthy taste of broken marriages and broken relationships mm. and and all of that. And I said... King Jesus, I'm going to trust you because I know and believe that you're good. Lead me in a way that will lead to a healthy and flourishing marriage because I don't want anything more of what I've seen. And so I committed myself to saving sex till marriage. And one of the ways that I viewed that was, A, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. And B, I want to honor my future spouse by not cheating on her now. And I can't yeah. help but wonder if that's part of why you see in these these studies that they show that people who don't have sex before marriage tend to have healthier marriages. Is I can't help but wonder, well, it's just because maybe they've taken marriage seriously before they got married, and they wanted to honor that spouse mm-hmm. before they got married. And so it, it, it would kind of make sense in that regard. Yeah. Now, I know I've gone on for a little bit here, but I want to circle back to the Bible because mm-hmm. I want to make sure people don't don't see me as coming at this as rule-based. I want to actually change the way that you see this because Jesus has changed the way that I understand it. Steve, I love that you brought up Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 5 to 7 because Jesus does something quite beautiful here. He, he starts talking about how people have these rules that, I mean, sorry, these fears that he's getting rid of all the rules. And Jesus goes, no, 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 listen, guys, I'm not getting rid of the rules. He goes, I'm not getting rid of any of the rules. He goes, not one, one letter, one stroke of the laws will be, you know, dismissed. And, and, and you can hear people going, oh, good, Jesus is about the rules. I, I, read Matthew chapter 5. This is exactly what he does. But then he, this is the beauty of Jesus' sermon. Then he twists it, though. And he says, but, but you know, if you're going to go down that path, just remember, unless your righteousness far exceeds out of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes to say what you were talking about, Steve, where he says, but I say to you, if anyone looks, this is uh, chapter 5, verse 28, but I say to you, if anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what is Jesus saying? And I think this is significant to the moment that you and I are living in right now. Because we, one of the reasons why I think premarital sex is at an all-time high and in his very unique kind of relationships that are happening right now, because these tend to be, you know, Netflix and chill kind of relationships. They tend to be one-night stand kind of relationships. They have become the complete objectification of relationships. And I think this is very much driven from a, a... uh, uh, from from a culture that is immersed in pornography, a culture that has grown up reducing men and women to objects. Sexual and what Jesus is saying in verse yeah. 28 is that's what you've done with the other human being. You've objectified them in your heart. 
And, and that's the problem, he's saying, because you think it's your actions that are problem, he goes on in the sermon, but he says, it's actually what's going on inside of you that's the problem. It's the way you see people that's the problem. You see, because yeah. when you're dating, I know I'm preaching here, but I think someone's got to hear this. Uh, come on, somebody. When, you, <laughs> <laughs> when you're dating and you've objectified that relationship, then you begin to ask, how far can I go? Exactly. Because the relationship is about you and it's about what how you want to use that other person as an object of your pleasure but the kind of relationship king jesus is calling you to is to see that other person is a human being made in god's image designed to be in a covenant relationship with someone that might be you but it might not be you and to value that human being and to see them relationally not as an object, that begins to change the whole way that you see dating and that you see marriage. Yeah. And not seeing yourself as an object, right? Because taking that just one step further, you could say, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to ruin, I, I don't want to steal their purity. I don't want to, it's like, no, but but you're also valued at that level. You are also worth someone waiting for. Like, hold yourself to that. No, I'm, and it's not prideful to say, man, I am worth waiting for. I am worth someone using self-control. I am worth saying no because of what God wants to do through a covenant with me and whoever my husband or wife is going to be. And, and that, that adds to it, right? Is because we can sometimes say no for the sake of other, but for the sake of self, Right. And I think that's where that 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 passage that I shared at the beginning gets misconstrued. It's if you can't control your lust, then get married. It's like, well, now you've created like we, we've been saying this whole time. Now you've created sex as something that you overcame. But now you get full right and reign to it whenever you want it, however you want it. But now that's the entire foundation of your marriage. And almost like I owed I did this for you. So now you owe this to me. And that's where that that it goes from you know, premarital temptation to now sexual abuse within a marriage, which actually does exist. Yeah. Now, just on that note, by the way, notice that with regards to that passage, as an example, you should burn with passion for if you're dating somebody and you're not burning passionately for that person. I mean, you got to think about that, right? Because I'm telling you right now, when I dated Nancy, I was like, dang, this girl's good looking, (laughs) right? You know, and, right. and I had I had thoughts, you know, like that's normal. You sh- you yep. should have you should be struggling with with your with your thoughts. You should be struggling with your passions like but that's a real struggle. That's a good struggle where you are in this you're in this struggle with the Lord going, God, help me to see her, or, you yeah. know, help me to see her as as your child. Help me to respect her, but oh Lord, please know that man, I think she's beautiful. Help me take captive every thought. <laughs> but in, like in a healthy way, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Take captive a healthy thought that I know is also, in its right context, a good thought. Mm-hmm. I should find her attractive. I should want to have sex with her. But I have to he- keep that in in its right context, which means it will be a struggle. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think this is a good place to also, I guess, maybe comfort our listeners who may have made mistakes in the past by having premarital sex and those kinds of things. I just want to affirm on that note, Andy, that, you know, what you are looking for is good. 
or you're looking for affection, you're looking for connection, you're looking for that intimate relationship. These are all good things. You just have to put them in the right context, right? And so uh, I just yeah. don't want people to walk away with any, if it's already not clear on our podcast, you know, any notion that sex is somehow dirty. On the one level, it is. On another level, it isn't. Uh, it is not morally dirty. God created it. He, he there, There's a purpose for it, and it's part of God's good creation. It is dirty in the sense that, well, you know, you're exchanging bodily fluids and all that kind of stuff. There's risk involved. It's a vulnerable act, both physically and emotionally. Like, it's dangerous stuff, right? So it's not something that we should take lightly. And so I have very little patience for young people and older people who say things like, it's just sex. It just drives me up the wall. It drives me bonkers. There is no such thing as just sex. You're literally physiologically uniting with that person, you know, with the release of oxytocin and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and that's why when I read in Genesis, right, Adam and Eve are created, you know, and it talks about how the, the two shall become one. Yes, there's a very spiritual component to it, but this is also a very physical description of how our bodies, you know, husband and wife, fit together to act as a single organism to produce the next generation. This union is so perfect that it creates the next generation, right? And so it's just everything about us, it, it just physically is pointing to this reality of that unity, right? That, that two becoming one. And so that's why when I hear this kind of casual dismissal of sex as, you know, just that bodily interaction, I'm just like, no, it's way more than that. And by engaging in it in the wrong context, you're actually hurting the other person and you're hurting yourself. Even if you think you're enjoying this, in the end, you're actually hurting yourself. Yeah. Uh, that's such a good point, Steve. Maybe there's a good place to end on. We live in a society that tends to want to reduce everything to the physical. Yeah. Uh, and and that can be very direct in this situation, right? To just reduce a human being to the to the physical beauty of the human body uh, and to the act of sex or whatever it might be. And in, and, in, and in reducing it just to those things, they lose sight of of the beauty. They lose sight of the purpose. They lose sight of all of those aspects to life that we know really matters, such as love. When we mm. say to another person, I love you. That is not something that you reduce to the physical. Yeah. That is a beautiful aspect of reality that that we cherish most dearly. And you see in books, movies, and, and the stories that we tell driving at this point. And when we look at this from a biblical perspective, then God is saying, you know, you need to see the whole of this. It's, just, it's beyond the physical. This isn't just sex, as you're saying, Steve. This is a relationship. This is a relationship with a person. And what does then that, that look like? Now, as people are listening to, to this podcast, I'm sure they're like, yeah, Andy, but what are the rules? You know, because back to what you're saying, Troy, right? How far, all those things. Read Jesus's sermon. Jesus isn't going to, he's going to, what, what is Jesus going to point you to? He's going to, here's, here's where he's going to point you, that you need to find yourself in a right relationship with King Jesus a right relationship with God, and you need to follow after God. I love how Jesus says, seek after righteousness. Yeah. It, it, this is in the same sermon. 
He's like, yeah. and it's about anxiety. He's like, it's so e- easy to get so anxious about everything, including who you're going to marry. And Jesus <laughs> is saying, don't worry about that. Just seek me, seek yeah. righteousness, and all of that will, will, will come together. Don't think that God doesn't care about those things. He does. But first and foremost, you need to get your, your relationship with the Lord right. Follow after him. And as Steve so, so passionately and, and carefully said over and over again, you might be off that path, but you can get back on that path. Jesus wants to lead you to flourishing. Get back on the path of following King Jesus and, and allow him to lead you to see people as people, not as objects, not as a means to an end, but a human being that you live in relationship with. Once you start doing that, you realize this isn't about rules. This is about relationship and about honoring those relationships. And then you allow God to begin to teach you and lead you on how you do that in a way that honors him and that honors them. Amen. 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 Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on this week's podcast. Once again, happy new year from all of us at AC. The AC podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. So as such, make sure you like and subscribe and interact with us on social media. We would love to hear from you. Um, We understand that there might be even more questions from this podcast. You can feel free to reach out to us at info at apologeticscanada.com or feel free to message us in our DMs. We, We do see your messages and we do appreciate Um, your comments. So thank you so much. Uh, Until next time, love God, love people.